0: Following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. Good morning. Um, ha- Happy New Year. Um, so, uh, before I jump into the sermon, I do want to share uh, something that we're going to be that we want to be doing together as a family. Um, So for the last few years, we have uh, uh, used an Advent devotional um, and kind of gone through that um, over the uh, 25 days of Advent, um, reading that together. And then every year, uh, Christmas comes and, and well, the reading's over, and that was really great. What do we do now? And it's always kind of a, kind of a, kind of left... Feeling like there should be something more. Well, we found something more, um, believe it or not. Uh, so, what we want to do over the next year uh, is use this um, material called the New City Catechism, and it's a it's a one it's a weekly devotion rather than a daily reading. Um, but don't be scared by the word catechism. It's just a Latinish sounding word for teaching. Um, we're not turning into a Catholic church or anything like that, um, but there is a series of 52 questions and answers, and then there's devotional uh, kind of around that question, um, and it's, it's a um, – well, you can tell your friends you're studying systematic theology, and that'll, that'll really impress them because uh, it's, a, it's a system of understanding God's Word and how it applies to our lives. Uh, the cool thing is there's also one for the kids. Uh, and our little Sunday school group that we've been doing, we have curriculum uh, for them as well. Uh, so all of the kids will get their own little book uh, that has the questions and answers in there. Um, and there's a, there's some other stuff that, that we'll do, little uh, table tents to have on the tables downstairs at lunch, uh, so we can see those questions uh, when when we're down there together uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper. So, um i've I want to provide a link for this so that you can purchase your own copy uh, and have that and and um, we'll kind of be counting down to a date and give everybody time to get their own, and then we'll start with the kids and um, and kind of all do that same question together that week as a family. Um, so that's uh, something that we want to do to continue um, we say making and maturing disciples together as a family. This is a way that we can uh, we can really facilitate that. Yeah. That's certainly possible. Um, yeah, we can look into that if that uh, would be easier for folks. Um, yep, we can do that. Sure. Yeah. Um, and if you have more questions about that, feel free to reach out because um, we're all learning together. So is not a master plan that we've been working on for six months, you know, <laughs> anything like that. So, all right, Huh. New Year's is a funny time. We've already talked about it a little bit, on New Year's resolutions and things like that, and we've been kind of joking around this morning, it's a, you know, New Year old me, um, kind of feeling, um, New Year's is a funny time, a time to kind of reset, time to start some things over. Uh, new diets, gym memberships, you know, Bible reading plans, kicking bad habits, starting new good habits. Um, these ideas are very popular this time of year. Uh, it'll only take you 12 seconds on Facebook to see everybody's you know, new year, new me junk. I, I once um, preached a sermon called, Pay for Your Gym Membership by the Year. Um, it'll hurt more when you quit. That was a New Year's uh, sermon. I have no idea what it was about, but it was a long time ago, and that was, yeah, old year, old me. Um, well, we're not starting anything new this morning. Um, we're going to continue doing what we've been doing, uh, and that is examining uh, the Scripture book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Um, and if you, are, if, you are con- if you are determined to change anything in your life about yourself, Uh, or or your life in the new year, I would challenge you to consider one thing, and that's aligning your expectations to what the Bible actually says. Um, And that's the topic of our text this morning in Luke chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 18 through 23, and that's on page 864 in the Pew Bibles. Luke 7, 18 through 23. Let's look at that together. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, said to the, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour... Father God, we are grateful to be together in this place as a family. We're thankful that we can have the freedom to align our lives to your word, to be able to read your word for ourselves. We're grateful for the Holy Spirit that serves as our interpreter. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to your truth this morning. Open our ears Soften our hearts to receive the message, and give us the strength by Your Holy Spirit to realign our lives to what Your Word actually says. We love You, Lord. We give You this time for Your glory and our good in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this um, this is among the most perplexing accounts in the New Testament in my view. Um, it, so in our walk through the Gospel of Luke, we've examined the life and ministry of John the Baptist before. Um, in Luke 1, we read about his special birth. Uh, he was born to a barren couple, right, um, who was, to put it politely, advanced in years. I think the translators were very polite there. Um, the angel Gabriel appears to John's father, Zechariah, while he was... Um, ministering as a priest in a temple, uh, offering um, uh, sacrifices and the, on the, off, the altar of incense. Um, and the angel told Zechariah that the boy's name was to be John. Um, and then Zechariah doubted the word of the angel. Like when an angel shows up and says, this is what's going to happen, you're like, eh, I don't know. He's like, so the angel, uh, uh, well, the Lord made Zechariah mute until the child was born. And then, uh, and then the town, like all the people in town, come over to celebrate the birth of the baby. And because his father couldn't talk, they're going to name the baby for him. Like, hey, we're going to name Zechariah. I mean, because that's like what we do, right? And Zechariah wrote in his little writing tablet, his name is John. Um, and then uh, his tongue was was loosed, and he could speak, and praise the Lord, and it was really cool, really um, fantastic event. Um, John the Baptist is also Jesus' cousin through their mothers, right? Um, John the Baptist was about six months older than Jesus. Uh, We know that because after Mary conceived, she went to visit uh, Elizabeth, who's John's mother, Um, and when Mary arrived at their house the baby in Elizabeth's womb, leapt for joy. Um, that's John the Baptist, right? Um, and Luke one eighty says, The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Now, fast forward to Luke chapter 3, when John the Baptist did finally appear publicly um, Where Luke records the words of Isaiah the prophet concerning John the Baptist in um, Luke 3 2 through 6. It says, The word of God came to John the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. That's 700 years before John was born. Isaiah said that. And here's what John said about himself there in chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. As the people were in expectations and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. To clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, I I don't, I, when I read the New Testament or when I read the Bible at all, especially when it's a quote from somebody saying something, the actor in me wants to kind of get to personify that a little bit, give that a little personality, right? And And the people were in expectation. Just kind of give it some feeling. And John the Baptist is one of those I've never been able to really grab a hold of. Um, This guy is fire and brimstone, right? Camel hair, locust munching, you know, wild man. I'm just too tame for that sort of thing, I guess. But this, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. That's the best I got. <laughs> and then there's, there's this little passage in the Gospel of John, the Apostle John, not John the Baptist, uh, John chapter 1. And this is a testimony of John the Baptist. I'm going to leave my comments there. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the paths of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Go back to Luke 7. You've heard all of this. Are you with me in thinking that the text from Luke 7 is perplexing? Where did all that go? John the Baptist, who leapt for joy in his mother's womb at the coming of Mary to visit, who, prophesied about, who was prophesied about in Isaiah as the new type of Elijah preparing the way for the Lord, who testified himself that Jesus was in fact the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now, this is like a year or two later, he seems to doubt whether or not Jesus really was Messiah. Are, are you the one or should we look for somebody else? Why? How did this happen? Now, the scholars are divided on this, like they are on everything. Some claim that John did not, in fact, doubt Jesus, but this was an attempt to get his disciples to follow Jesus rather than him. Some hold John to be completely blameless here, and it appears that they hold him up as uh, being almost guiltless of any sin at all. Uh, That's just not real. They're holding him up to be something more than he really is. And although Jesus himself says that there is no one born of women greater than John, those are Jesus' words about him. John himself was not without sin, not without guilt, and not without his own set of expectations of Jesus. Let me ask you this. Why didn't John himself come to see Jesus? Why did he send two disciples? He's in prison, right? Not just inconvenient or scared. He's, he's in prison. And why did he send them to ask if Jesus really was Messiah or should they look for somebody else? You don't have to answer, Ben. Because <laughs> I know you were going to. Why did he send them to ask Jesus if he really was Messiah or should they look for somebody else? The answer, I think, is simple. And disappointing and familiar. John was disappointed. John was disappointed by Jesus. Not by anything that Jesus had done, but what he hadn't done. So here's John, this fiery preacher that I can't even pretend to emulate. Fiery preacher expecting a fiery Messiah. Where was the winnowing fork? Right? You know, you guys all have one of those in your barn, right? You know what that is? It's a big fan. It's a not really a fork exactly, but it's a fan. They throw grain up in the air, and as the grain is falling down, they blow on it with this big fan, and it, the kernels of wheat were heavy, And the chaff, what's around, the little fuzzy stuff around the kernels of wheat was light. And so the fan would blow that stuff away over there. And then it would be swept up and burned because it's useless. Burned with unquenchable fire. Right. And John says, this is what Jesus is going to do. He's going to fling all you jerks up into the air. And then he's going to blow it. And then the good ones are going to fall to the ground and be collected into the barn. And oh, boy, you brood of vipers. You fuzzy, useless chaff particles, you're going to be burned with unquenchable fire. This is what, this, like, mm, that's the kind of Messiah that that John was looking for. And so when Jesus wasn't like that, he sent his disciples to say, did we get this wrong? Are you not the one that we were looking for? Because you really don't seem like it. John didn't ask if Jesus was the Messiah because of unbelief, but because of impatience. Jesus brought blessings and benefits, not punishment and judgment. John was sent to prepare the way of the Lord, but it turned out to be a way that not even he expected. And why is that? Is it just because of his personality? Like he did is he like us and it just expects Jesus to act and think and be like us? Like I think a lot of times my picture of Jesus is just like what would I do if I could get it right? Did he expect the Messiah to look and act like him with his with his itchy camel hair robe and and leather belt and locusts and wild honey? Is that what he expected Jesus to be like? fire and brimstone and judgment and blowing a big fan on everybody. And Jesus' response to the inquiry gives us a clue, gives us the clue of exactly why John was disappointed. And in his response, Jesus also shines light on why we too are often disappointed with him. Look at verse 21. Why was John disappointed? He's disappointed because his expectations of Jesus did not line up with what the Bible actually says. Good thing he's the only one. Jesus read from the scroll of Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 1 and 2, when he was in Nazareth, back in Luke chapter 4. He read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And here in his response to John's disciple, Jesus quotes Isaiah 29, verses 18 and 19. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord." And the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. And also Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Now, of course, I bring those verses to you out of my great and abundant Bible training, which you obviously don't have wrong. I just read the cross references which are in the Bible in your lap. There's no magic here. This is what the Bible actually says. John's understanding of Messiah wasn't completely wrong. It was just incomplete. His expectations were that Jesus would do all of these things, all the judgment and fire, as well as the healing and liberty, immediately and all at once. John wasn't all wrong. He's impatient. I don't say all these things to chastise John the Baptist or put him in a bad light. Jesus did say, among those born of women, no one is greater than John the Baptist. And we're going to get to those verses um, soon. I can't promise next week, because who knows? might just be one word next week. I only say all this because I think that John and us have this in common that sometimes we wish things were different than they are. Sometimes we have unmet expectations of Jesus because we don't really know what the Bible actually says about him and what he is doing and what he's going to do and what he has done. But as, a great, as great a man as John the Baptist was, we do have some tremendous advantages over him as we'll see later in the chapter. But here are some highlights. We have the Bible in its entirety. John the Baptist had Old Testament scrolls. The New Testament was happening. Not being written down yet. But we have the whole canon of Scripture. We have 2,000 years of scholarly work and arguments and study of those words. And most importantly... By faith in Jesus Christ, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit who serves as our interpreter of God's Word. So, take the advice of St. Augustine of Hippo, take up and read. Take up and read. Read your Bible. Ask questions. Think about what you have read. Look at the little letters and numbers and down at the bottom of the page what those letters and numbers correspond with. And when you look up those passages and they don't make any sense, ask somebody else. We're in this together. That's the whole point here. We need to meditate it, chew on it. We need to get to know what the actual words of God say about Jesus Christ. The humble healing Messiah who preached good news to the poor and died in our place on the cross, who rose from the grave and ascended into heaven and is coming back again with unquenchable fire of judgment and also a warm welcome into his kingdom for all those who believe in him. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word, that you have preserved it all these long years. We thank you for all those who gave their lives in defense of your word, to get it into a language that we can read and understand. We thank you, Father, that your word is not a mysterious, magical object, but is clear, plain instructions for those who would believe in you. We thank you for the great freedom we enjoy to own multiple copies of your word. We thank you for the freedom that we enjoy to read it. Forgive us for when we let it lie and gather dust. Lord, we don't want to start worshiping your word. We want to worship you according to your word. So we pray that you would continue to shine the light of your Holy Spirit on your Scripture, that we might know you better through it, how you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. We're so grateful. We're so grateful for your love for us. We're so thankful for our Messiah, Jesus, who came exactly as described in your word. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipi, New Hampshire, 03890.